You're listening to The Omni Show. Get to know the people and stories behind the Omni Group's award-winning productivity apps for Mac and iOS. My name's Andrew J. Mason, and today we talk with Uji McGuire, shepherdess in Colorado who uses OmniFocus to get things done. Hey there, welcome to The Omni Show. Uh, like I mentioned, my name is Andrew J. Mason, and today we have the honor of hanging out with Uji McGuire. Uji's a shepherdess who herds a flock of sheep in Colorado, uh, along with a lot of different roles that we're going to get into, so that's just one slice of who she is. Uh, but first, Uji, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so, so grateful to have you with us on the show. Oh, it's good to be here. It's kind of interesting to be sort of the first ordinary person on the show. Everybody else is like a rock star in tech. <laughs> well, after our conversation with Sal Segoyan last episode, I don't want to be guilty of pouring glue on anybody's head. So uh, at the risk of underselling, I will say I believe you're a rock star in your own right. And people are going to hear some of that, too. Talk to us about, uh, I mentioned Shepherdess. What are some of the other roles that you currently play? As you mentioned, I work and live here on a farm in western Colorado and raise black Welsh mountain sheep. I'm also the registrar for the U.S. and Canadian registry for those sheep. They are a rare breed. I've also been involved for now the last six or so years working on a flock management program for rare breed sheep flocks called Lamb Tracker. And it's now in the process of its second major incarnation into a program that can handle more species than just sheep and also do more functions, population analysis, registrations and things. And that's been renamed as Animal Tracker. And that's a new thing I've been working on now. It's going to be written in Python. Both Lamb Tracker and Animal Tracker are all open source. Very cool. And maybe some of what sets you apart in terms of the farming community is, is your reliance upon technology uh, as a scaffolding in order to get things done. Is that uh, unique to you? I don't think I'm that unusual in using technology to manage. Farming is actually a very technical field. There's a lot of things you have to know, a lot of things you have to work with. How people manage that may vary, but some of the new technologies with drones and doing very detailed information on animals and plants and crops and fields is all very much technology-driven. So it's changing but there's still this, you've got to get down and dirty in with the sheep or on the tractor kind of thing. So, you know, it's it's an interesting combination. And also the role of archivalist. Uh, what's that all about? So we have a uh, local historical society here in our small town, and they have a collection of about 1,500 glass plate negatives from the early 1900s of the area. And so a project that my husband and I started a number of years ago is to sort of save that collection initially by just getting it out of the open shelves in a dirt basement and clean them and very, very, very slowly scanning and cataloging those items and making them available to the public for enjoyment, use, education, because it's kind of an interesting archive of the small area. Related to that, I've started a project between my own family, you know, my parents, myself, my stepdad, my husband. We have a very large collection of other photograph images of varying sorts. And so that's an ongoing scanning, cataloging, archiving project. Interesting. So how do you save those files and do you do any retouching once you do save them? 
So for all the photograph things for the Historical Society, I'm following Library of Congress archive standards. So we're using TIFFs as the data file, and there is no retouching on the master files. The goal is to capture it as it exists for your master file. Then you can create additional files where you play with various things in Photoshop or Lightroom to get it to look really good, but you always want to capture what it is now, and then you can always go back to that original file. Once that master file's made, it needs to sort of stay intact. For personal images, the color slides, actually using the system where they're being stored as JPEG files, feeling on that is that right now that's probably good enough to get them cataloged. You know, there's about 50,000 images, so there's a lot of data to deal with. So that's a good way to get it down. We can get it in, get it cataloged, and then if we need to go back, you know, I'm not going to throw away the slides. I need to go back and do a more professional or higher quality scan of those things, I can do it. So cool. Well, let's get to it. I know the reason that you're here is to share your usage of OmniFocus. So I'm very curious to hear about that. And something we always ask people is, how did you first come across the Omni Group and OmniFocus? So uh, do you have any recollection of that? Not in detail. I know that I got the Getting Things Done book in June of 2008 and joined Connect on David Allen Company about then as well started an implementation in Life Balance, a very old app at that point, got ready for anything in July 2008, and making it all work in January 2009, sort of the trifecta of books to read about this. I started an OmniFocus implementation in spring of 2009. Best I could do going back through my records was that that was in March, so that would have probably been as part of my spring equinox quarterly review. And at that time, I was syncing to Palm using Missing Sync to get that to all work and finally got an iPod Touch in 2010. And it wasn't until late 2011 that I got an iPhone and was able to get rid of this flip phone and the iPod Touch. So I've been on OmniFocus basically since 2009. <laughs> iPod Touch, my goodness. That feels like eons ago, but really it was only 11 years since 2009. just feels like lifetimes ago. But since we're on the subject, share with us what is your current technology setup? How does that look? Uh, what, what devices do you use day to day? Uh, so my main computer is a fairly elderly iMac, uh, 2013. I do have a new iPad Pro 11-inch with Apple Pencil, which I dearly love. The Pencil has been a game-changer for note-taking. And then my phone is an iPhone 8. I also do work with Android because the Lamb Tracker shoot-side system is Android-based. So it's written in Java and runs on Android tablets. The current tablet is an Amazon Kindle Fire. There is no iOS version of Lamp Tracker for lots of technical reasons, unfortunately. All right, perfect. So from 2009 on, we now know kind of your hardware setup, how things are looking and feeling. Talk to us about your system. Has there been any major changes over the years? It started kind of as this general thing where you put absolutely everything into OmniFocus, you know, everything you're currently doing, everything you might want to do. 
bought totally into the project's next action mindset of GTD, which fits very well with that. That falls apart for me in OmniFocus. So what changed fairly rapidly is finding an alternative way to keep my someday maybe or the things that I want to do, but I'm not working on things. And the population of that is so large that it just had to move out of OmniFocus. It just got too cumbersome to deal with there. Right now, that set of stuff is somewhere over 1,800 items. And those can be projects that might span years or even decades. So (laughs) projects for me, I'm an outlier. Projects are not just something that happens in one year. They can take a very long time and can be worked on in this particular season. That's a key feature of how I work with my OmniFocus system. So I mentioned my quarterly reviews. Farming is very seasonally driven. There's lots of things that happen based on seasons and that can only happen or can only start in those seasons. So I do a more in-depth review of what's in my to-do list, my OmniFocus system, each solstice and equinox, because that's a convenient time to do it. It kind of ties it to the natural cycle that we're working with with the animals. And at that point, I move out of the current system anything that's not done and can't be continued on in the next season and look at my lists of other projects, which currently are in DevonThink as just straight text files and pull in everything that now needs to become active or could be worked on. Huh. So in a sense, you've got a menu of different projects, some of them that you are actively working on, you take off the active menu, throw them into DevonThink, and then when they come back around, they go active again, you put them back in OmniFocus, kind of have this like list to choose from. Correct. It is not as automated as perhaps I would like. On the other hand, the lack of automation does force me to take a look at that when I both put it off away for a while to make sure I've covered where I am so I can start up again easily. And when I bring something back or add a new one in to bring it into OmniFocus, I need to really take the time to clean it up and get it ready to work. That's really cool, though, because you hear a lot of people leaning into automation, but your decidedly not automating allows you to have a, a more active attention placed on each of the projects that you're working with. Talk to me about your day to day. How does it look when you're using your system day to day and you have uh, all your different actions available to you? Could you run us through what a typical day looks like for you? I start my morning looking at my OmniFocus lists, checking the weather, checking news, kind of seeing just what's coming up. There are a lot of things that are weather dependent, so I need to know what the weather's going to be like for the day before I can really plan my day. But I also review my OmniFocus lists, my next action lists, every single morning. I keep them short enough for me. I'm a fast reader. I like long lists. But I have enough different contexts that I can quickly review those contexts, an entire set of things in that context in sort of one-page view on my iMac. The way I work it is in the morning I take a look, and since I work and live in the same place, I can choose what context to go in. So if I see that I've got a whole bunch of things in a particular software package, I might look at the weather and say, well, it's going to be cloudy or snowy, so let me do a couple hours of work in that particular software package, and I can knock out a bunch of those actions. 
that daily review is critical to my planning for the day and how I'm going to get things done. Then during the day, I try to use little obvious breaks to do a couple things. One is whatever context I'm in, I decide very quickly at that point, should I stay in that context or should I change contexts? I might be working in LibreOffice on a bunch of things, and after an hour or two, my brain is fried, and I know that if I continue to work on those tasks, I'm going to make mistakes. So I'll look at my list and say, oh, I've got a bunch of things that I need to do outside in a particular field or over in the red barn or in the shop building. So why don't I get up and I'll walk over to that context and work on those things so that I get a break, but I'm still getting things done that I need to get done. The other thing I do is there's some tasks, particularly with the sheep, where I need to still be there, present and watching, but I have space or time to do other things. An example is filling water tanks. I've learned, unfortunately, through my own mistakes, that if I walk off and leave a hose in a water tank, I'm likely to forget that I was filling a water tank, and that can waste water, number one, or can fill the barn up and risk getting hay wet, which is not good. So I stand there and watch the water tanks filling now. So you've realized just through distractibility that you actively need to attend to the tanks as they're filling up. Does that, uh, does that ever get boring? Well, there's not a whole lot to do. I mean, you're watching a hose run. <laughs> so what else can I do? Well, I can pull out my phone, pick up my OmniFocus lists there and say, oh, I've got these phone calls to make. Maybe I can make a couple phone calls. I always carry a little notepad and a pen in my wallet. Women's clothes don't have pockets, or at least not good ones. So I make a little belt pouch that I hook on my belt that carries my wallet and my phone. And so I have a piece of paper and a pen so I can take notes on a phone conversation, or I can, you know, if I'm thinking of something in the standard GTD of a mind sweep, sometimes when you're just standing there looking out, gazing at the sheep, looking at the pastures, looking at the mountains, your mind is free to think of all the things that you would like to do, or an idea on a project that wasn't really something you were working on, but you've just now got a brilliant idea of it. So that's a good place for me to capture. Well, I do have to ask, you mentioned having a pad and paper, but also your phone nearby. Why not using your phone or like Siri to, to capture? Siri and I have a very difficult relationship. Siri does not understand the difference between you, E-W-E, and you, Y-O-U. So whenever I try to say something about sheep, in general, Siri gets it wrong. Siri also doesn't understand tag numbers. So if I say something like 936, the assumption is it's 936 and the reminders will get set to flag then or remind you then. That's not what I want. So I very rarely use Siri unless it's the absolute only way I can get a note made. And even then, I have to go and look at Siri right away, see what Siri thought got heard, and correct it before I forget what I was doing. I did find that you can improve the voice recognition by changing Siri's output voice. I don't know why that matters. It doesn't make sense to me. But I found that for me, the UK male output voice tends to result in better input recognition on Siri for me. So if you're having problems, give it a shot. Maybe some other voice will be better. 
I tried everything that was available, you know, the Australian, the UK, US, various ones, and it turned out the UK male voice resulted in better incoming voice recognition. So as I'm working through actions, I don't tend to add things in on either my iPad or my iPhone. I try to do all my adding and major work in OmniFocus on the Mac, mostly because that's where all my tools are. I'm much more efficient at it, and I don't want to waste time. But I do use the iOS devices in doing mode, so I check off things in OmniFocus and then come back and they sync. Fair enough. And before this conversation, we were actually talking, you mentioned not being as huge of a fan of the shared cloud syncing services. I'm very cloud adverse, so I don't use OmniFocus web server. I don't use iCloud. I use Google Docs very rarely for very specific things. I use Dropbox for a few specific things. But the way I synchronize OmniFocus is I have it going to my own web dev server. So, yep, if I'm out and about and I work in OmniFocus, I'm not going to get new updates. But I found that doesn't really matter. I get back to my home base often enough both during the day and across days that the fact that I have to be in one physical location to synchronize my iOS devices isn't really a problem. I love this next question because each expert you talk to has a different answer on how to approach it. But what advice would you give for somebody who maybe has OmniFocus, they've cracked the software open, but they haven't really taken a whole lot of first steps yet? What do you suggest somebody does? Play with it. You need to figure out what's going to work for you. I've gone through several iterations of how I organize my stuff in OmniFocus. I've got one that's worked out quite well now for going on four or five years that hasn't changed much, but it took a while to get there. So OmniFocus has lots of features. There's lots of things you can do with it. There's lots of customization that you can do, both within the app and by adding scripts or plugins or other things that other people have written. And you need to figure out what's going to work with you. And it can be overwhelming to a new user because it is so full-featured. It's got so many things you can do. So the best thing I could tell a brand new person is play with it. Take whatever you're currently using and as you add new things, put them into OmniFocus. Still run in parallel for a while. And slowly over time, you'll find what works for you in OmniFocus and then can, can move into it. The other thing is sort of the general GTD thing is a weekly review. Spend at least some time, at least once a week, really looking at everything. And initially, you might need to do that daily. You mentioned just a bit ago that your system has been to your liking as of the last couple of years. But uh, the change that happened right before that, uh, can you talk a little bit about what led to your most recent change and what your system does look like now that it has been changed? So what triggered the last change was that I won an award of some coaching from David Allen Company and ended up with Meg Edwards, who also used OmniFocus, and we could screen share and she could look at my system and see how I was using it, and then just gave me some things of things to try. So I went off and tried that and ended up with kind of a hybrid of what I had been doing and what she suggested, and that's worked really well. So I have in OmniFocus two lists that are single action lists. One is miscellaneous and one is errands. We live in a rural area, and especially now with the pandemic, 
going to town or going shopping is not something that happens regularly. So it's real important to know what are all the stores we have to go to when we drive to the nearest city where there's a large box store, which is a 75-mile one-way trip. So you don't want to do that very often. You want to make sure that when you're there, you get everything done. Then I have a folder that has the current sort of active projects, and those are the basic ones that I'm working on that would be the non-recurring projects. So then I have a series of recurring projects folders. So I have one for things that happen weekly, one for things that happen monthly, and then a folder for each of the major seasons, January through March, April through June, July through September, and October through December. And those folders are for projects that tend to happen on a recurring basis. I've figured out the steps I need to do, and they need to start in that season. They may not finish in that season, but they need to start in that season. And then my last folder that I have is checklists, which would be sort of the equivalent of a, a template in OmniFocus. You know, they're, they're projects for things that happen on an irregular schedule. So I can't set it as a repeating thing. Some trigger makes me need that list. But I figured out what I need to do, and I don't want to have to redo that thinking. So I've created a project that's on hold, and effectively in OmniFocus, I tear off a copy by making a copy of that project, setting it to active, and moving it into my active folder. So I leave my template alone. Examples of that, we do performance recording on our sheet. And so several times a year... I take all the phenotypic data that I've collected on the animals, put it into the spreadsheet format that's the data input, ship it off to Australia for processing, then I will get results back, and then I have to incorporate those results into my lamb tracker database for our flock records. Well, all those steps have, there's a whole series of steps to make that all happen. And so I need to do that whenever I get ready to send data in. And I don't want to remember the fact that the data comes back in this very weird format and I have to use this terminal command to unencrypt it and get it to where I can use it. So, you know, it's like I figured that out once, I've got it down once, it's in there so I don't have to remember that. And so I'll just make a copy. And the last thing on the get data ready to send to Australia is fire off a copy of the project to get the results into LandTracker. So I link projects that way. Is there anything about your system that over time you found that you've done a full-on reversal over or said, you know, I did think this, but now, you know what, I'm actually going back. I think this. So I had been adamant for a long time that you didn't really need more than a single context, even though things could be in multiple contexts. So far, the only real use I found for the expansion in OmniFocus of tags to allow multiple tags is that I now have tags for each area of focus. So I can quickly pull up a perspective of how many projects or actions are in a particular area of focus. And just that perspective has made a very interesting difference in how I approach projects and what I'm working on. <laughs> That's interesting. I've never heard anybody doing this before because uh, I manage by folders with areas of focus. I've never heard of anybody doing tags based on areas of focus. But now that you say it, uh, of course, you know, there are some projects that we engage in that can apply to multiple areas. Maybe this affects health and my family at the same time. And you can now have 
projects that belong to multiple areas of focus utilizing tags and perspectives. Right. Those tags start with AOF and then a space and then whatever the focus area is that's added. When I create a project, I can typically put it into that. So then it's in the top level. So it automatically adds to all actions, which is great. And then I can go pull a quick perspective report to say, hey, you know, you've got 50 projects in this area of focus and nothing over here. Does that mean you need to look at that? You know, what are you falling down on? That's a fantastic tip. Uh, Talk to me about what's been the hardest thing to implement or the biggest challenge for you. Uh, The hardest lesson is to process everything fully. It's really easy to say, pick up a piece of paper or a note or an email and say, yep, I've done with that, file it, and you're not really done with figuring out what you have to do with it. So there's an easy temptation to just shove things down the road and not deal with them properly when they first come up. You mentioned processing or clarifying fully, but how do you know when something for you is truly fully clarified or fully processed? If I think of it again, or if it comes up again, then the thinking wasn't done the first time. Has anything changed in your processing in in regards to the pandemic or how the last couple of months have played out? One group of sort of these checklists, templates, that is has definitely been affected by the pandemic is I now have a whole bunch of them that say how to process incoming bills or how to deal with some of the ongoing things, bank statements and stuff. Not because I need them to do the tasks, but because if something happens to me, somebody else might need them to know where to go to get the information. So it's almost like a emergency backup of things that have to get handled in case I'm not able to do it. Yeah, that's that's got to be a relief. Yeah. I mean, if nothing else, it's helpful because it kind of calms the mind and says, it's like, okay, you know, if something happens to me, I know that that ball's not going to get dropped. Do you have any specific examples of that? I'm a registrar for the sheep. So I have a set of templates about what you do when you get a registration request, when you get a birth notification. How do you handle processing a death of a sheep in the registry system? How do you process transfers? What do you have to do? Where do I get the certificate paper to print registration certificates? You know, where do I buy the little gold seals that we put on them that we emboss so that they know it's a valid registration certificate? Because right now, yeah, I know exactly where I do it, what I get, how to do it, all of that. But I'm going to need to pass that task on to somebody else. And somebody else needs to be able to pick it up and not spend a lot of time figuring out what I already did. Now, what about perspectives? You mentioned areas of focus, which I think is absolutely brilliant. But uh, how about any other perspectives that you use? So I also use perspectives for the weekly review. Uh, Omni has the ability to set a review time for projects. It's typically set at one week standard, but you can make it longer or different. And I found that that is not nearly as helpful. It's better for me to keep the project list small enough that I can really review everything in OmniFocus in a week. But what matters to me is finding any projects that are stalled, that don't have an action because that means that I didn't finish. When I did the last action, I didn't finish it, which is, do I have to do something else? You know, that's like the last action of of something. So I need to find those. I need to find any that are pending, because I do set start dates 
as needed on projects. So I need to kind of look at what's coming up so I can say, you know, hey, there's going to be a whole bunch of things coming up in the next week or two. So I don't want to plan on being able to do too much else that week. I like to review everything that's on hold just because that's where I review my templates because they're all on hold. I generally don't have on hold projects per se. My projects that are on hold are really my checklists. And then I go and review active ones, which is really kind of the meat of the review of everything that's currently active. And if I see something that I haven't been working on, usually it means that I didn't describe the actions fully enough. So that's where I fix that. And then sort of my catch-all at the end is review remaining, which catches anything that I thought of. Like if I think of a new project, it's like, oh, that's not an action. That's another whole new project. I kick it in and then it'll show up at the end. I do not like subprojects in general. I don't tend to use that feature in OmniFocus, so I tend to put everything out at like a top-level project. And that means that right now, for me, I'm actually at sort of my lowest level of projects. I've got 172 current active projects. And that's actually low. I think my high has been around 250 to 280. All right, so that's awesome. Let's talk about day-to-day implementation. What has been the most difficult thing to implement as you've been going throughout your work day-to-day? So I have a phrase that I use a lot. I don't know if you can uh, put the entire thing in the show, but the total thing is sheep happens, genetics is a bit, and beer must flow. (laughs) It's there now. (laughs) Someday I'm going to get a t-shirt made with that on it because when you really think about it, that covers just about everything that you have to deal with as a problem. Sheep happens, genetics is a and beer must flow, and that usually helps. <laughs> well, if you had any weaknesses in regards to how your system runs, what would they be? I'm terrible at figuring out how long something's going to take. So even double or triple or even following the any sort of formula to figure out how long things are going to take, it's never accurate. Particularly so right now with the whole animal tracker programming. You know, one of the things I have to do is I have to move an entire database from one database system into my database structure. And and what makes that a difficult to estimate task? I thought that that was going to be something that I could figure out a procedure and then pass chunks of this off to volunteers because I've got people in the registry that are volunteering to help with this task and let them go do it. I'm discovering that I'm still about a month and a half later on the first 1,000 animals to convert, and I've got 13,000 of them to do. And not only that, but I'm finding things that mean that I have to go back to the original records from 1973 to make sure that when I do the conversion, it's done right. And that's not something I can delegate to anybody else, because right now there's only one copy of those records available. Uji, do you feel like anything would actually help that process along for you? Well, actually, there's two things that would be highly helpful. One is the database structure that it currently is, is Foxbase, which has been deprecated years ago. And it's moving into an SQLite database. A lot of it depends on knowledge of the animals and the genetics, so there may not be much to do there. But what would be really helpful is if anybody knows Python programming with SQLite, and wants a really cool project that would be very helpful for genetic diversity in livestock species, which translates to food security and better resiliency in our food system, which as we know during this pandemic is not as stable as we all thought, 
then go out to my GitLab repository. It's U-G-M-O-O-G-I-E-M at GitLab and dig in because one of the things that slowed me down on that is that I didn't know Python. I still don't know Python. I'm still trying to learn Python. Oh my goodness. So inherent in this project that we thought maybe we could template out, uh, guesstimate some of the time on it, and then replicate that time is the sub-project Learn Python, which is more than a little bit of a detail. Well, I think you heard it here first, folks. If there's any Python programmers out there that are aspiring to have a gem of a resume builder, uh, I think we've got a worthy program for you. Yeah, and, th- and there's a lot of things like uh, I've talked to some Python programmers and it's like, well, you know, we can use all these different extra tools. It needs to be a graphical user interface, needs to run on a desktop, needs to run on Mac, Windows, Linux. And one of the things that I made a decision on fairly early is I'm going to stick with Tkinter, which isn't great as a GUI builder, but at least you do it once and it does work. The advantage of anybody working on this is that I'm using this stuff daily. When I was doing the development for the Lamb Tracker mobile, there are times where we took the laptops out and we're debugging while the sheep are standing in the chute because something didn't work. And as a user, you know, the thing as a programmer, you always try to guess what the users want and they tell you what they want, but then you watch them and that's not what they really wanted because they don't know how to explain it. So the advantage of this project is that I'm a user. I can tell you what I want and then I can go try it and say, nope, that's not quite right. Now, what about looking to the future? Are there any features that you're interested in for OmniFocus as far as coming up? The big one would be better ways to share projects with a team. So say we get four or five folks that are Python programmers that are using OmniFocus that want to work on this. Right now, I don't have a way to have a shared project that we can all work on. So we're going to be doing things the way standard software development would work. You know, we've got a Slack channel. We've got Google Docs that we can share. Obviously, Git, we're using, I'm using Git, so, you know, any programmer could use that. But a team option for projects would be really nice. But it needs to be sandboxed so that the individual user sees their stuff plus the team stuff. It can't be an all or nothing. You've got to be able to do it on a project level. Something else that was really interesting to me, and I think that our audience will find it useful too, uh, and and even Sal Segoyan mentioned this too, that a lot of times OmniFocus is only one slice of somebody's workflow. Can you talk to me a little bit about what your workflow looks like and how it interacts with OmniFocus in different ways? Yeah, OmniFocus is just one piece. And one of the things I've discovered is that the way I work, I like to have a stack of applications that are for my needs, best in breed for specific things. I'm not looking for an application that does everything. I want the best task manager. That's OmniFocus. I want the best long-form writing app. For me, that's Scrivener. I want the best quick notes, index, find stuff app. For me, that's DevonThink. I'm adding to that a little bit. Right now, I'm playing with two applications that are probably going to have a place in the stack. One is Zotero as a bibliographic. I do have a couple of research papers that are out and published on sheep reproduction, and I've got some ideas and things I want to do. Our flock was a research flock for 13 years with the USDA on sheep reproduction. So tracking that scientific paper bibliographic stuff is important. And I've never had a good bibliographic manager, so I'm looking at Zotero for that. 
The other one that's a new one that I'm working with is Obsidian. The big advantage Obsidian has over a lot of the other similar apps is that it, your data is your own. It's on your system. And the fact that it'll run anywhere, it's you know available for all operating systems, is particularly useful. And that gives a linking view of notes and data that's not possible anywhere else, even with the new expansion of linking in DevonThink. You can't see those links visually the same way you can see them in Obsidian. The other app that's probably become very important for me right now is GoodNotes on the iPad because I have terrible handwriting, number one, but GoodNotes is able to recognize my handwriting with about a 95% accuracy, which is just awesome. And I like to write paper notes, and I've effectively replaced most of my paper notes with good notes, because then I can go back in and I can handwriting recognition it and then save that text out in other formats. That's awesome. Uji, thank you so much for giving us the insight into what your workflow looks like, how you utilize OmniFocus every day to get things done. Uh, I hope our audience has found it really useful. If people are interested in finding out more of what you're up to and how they can connect with you, how can they do that? So probably best way is to go through the farm website, which is desertweir, D-E-S-E-R-T-W-E-Y-R.com. And you can click and send an email there. That is where my blog posts are, which are very irregular, you know, maybe about two or three times a year, maybe four. I also am on Twitter. I'm not as active on there. I'm also UGM, O-O-G-I-E-M on Twitter. Activity there really ramps up during lambing season because the lambing is tweeted with all new lambs. I originally started out as that was the way I got research data back to our USDA researchers from the field without having to wait till I went into the house to send emails. So I could send, yes, we got a lamb. Here's the mom. Here's the dad. Yes, it was an AI. Yes, here was the synchronization because I was already out there with all the data, but I could send it that way. So Twitter, again, is intermittent during this time of year. And uh, obviously, I'm on Mac Power Users Forums, OmniFocus Forum, and the GTD Connect Forums. And I'm UGM there as well. Perfect. Uji, thank you for your investment of time today. Thank you for having me. And thank all of you for listening today. Hey, we're curious. Are you enjoying the shows? Are you enjoying uh, learning how people are getting things done utilizing Omni software and products? Drop us a line at The Omni Show on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you there. You can also find out everything that's happening with the Omni Group at omnigroup.com slash blog. <laughs> <laughs>